You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. This morning, as we take an opportunity to look into God's Word, you'll see in your bulletins that the subject is giving, the worship of giving, and that it's selected scriptures. I'd like to point out that our normal method of teaching at Kootenai is, is not topical, it's expository. It's as the scripture opens itself to us by the leading of the Holy Spirit, we work through it as Jim has been working through the book of John. And as I studied, as we talked about, as the elders talked about this message, and I looked online and in some of my study guides, I saw it treated mostly topically. That isn't to say that it couldn't be treated expositionally. As I look at First, Second Corinthians 8, it's a wonderful section of Scripture. And I wish I had started out from that perspective when I first started preparing for this morning. But I didn't. So this morning, there will be a lot of Scripture. And I will be glad for anyone who wants to. Don't take the time to write all the references down. I'll be glad to supply you with the outline, the sermon outline, if you would like, that has all the Scripture. Um, for those of you that have attended here for a long time, you know that Jim is our, our regular morning Sunday morning expositor. And it seemed appropriate that he not give this message as your, your tithes and your offerings support him and his family. And so that was one of the reasons, not that he couldn't treat it in a very wonderful way and without any problem. It just seemed that that wouldn't be more appropriate. Um, I believe that there were at least four other elders, five other elders on our four elder board who could have treated this better. But I one person pointed out this morning as I was coming up, he goes, oh, you drew the short straw, huh? And uh, I nodded. The other thing I would like to point out is that it's, it's a blessing to belong to a giving church. And so the message this morning is more of an iron sharpening iron message, more of, a, of an encouragement one to another. Um, it's not a demonstration or a concern in any way, a demonstration of concern. It's just been the observation of the elders that in the same way we recently had a seminar the same-sex seminar, we treated an issue that has come up. It seemed appropriate to treat this issue as well, since there's been almost no giving. When I first started coming to Kootenai, I didn't know how to give here. I didn't know what you did. They didn't take an offering. There was no plate passed around. And so I, it was, I was here several weeks before I realized that there's a box in the back that a truly New Testament church who relies on the grace of God and the giving and, and the Holy Spirit relies on him for everything. And so in that message, in that manner, I learned that that my the expectation was is that I would give as God had moved me. And so <laughs> this morning, as I, I you'll you'll see that the title and, and we will pray in a moment here. Jim read through the scripture, but the title is um, and I picked up the wrong one. It's not the place in the garden tomb. The worship of giving. Giving. Indeed, our service to God itself, all of it, 
is an act of worship to the Lord Jesus Christ, to the Father. And everything we do out of a heart of love for the Father is an act of worship. Were the, did the songs minister to you this morning? They minister to me, and I've, I've gotten to a point in my life now where I can't listen to the Star Spangled Banner without bawling. So when I hear songs that remind me that my name is written down in heaven, and it was for nothing I have done, I move beyond words, and I have to stop singing. So don't look back there, okay? Just, just face forward when you're singing. Uh, every Sunday, because uh, my worship often is done silently because I can't sing the words. And so this morning, as we as we work through these scriptures on giving, on the worship of giving, again, it will be an, uh, an encouragement one to another for all of us just to look to what the Lord has to say about the blessing of giving. So let's open in prayer or let's continue in prayer. Father, we thank you this morning that we belong to a people who has been given to the Father. Everything about the Scripture is, a, is, a, is about grace, is about blessing, is about turning ourselves over to the Father and giving ourselves to Him so that we might, as the Corinthians did, as the Macedonians did, be used to minister to others. And so this morning, as we work through these Scriptures, Lord, I pray that Your Holy Spirit would remind us of the greatest gift of all, which we just, we just spent an entire Sunday looking at, Indeed, as was mentioned, every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday here. And uh, the gift, the greatest gift of all, the Lord Jesus Christ, given to us for our salvation and for our blessedness. We thank you for that this morning, and we indeed look forward to what you have in your work. So, I'm going to go slower than I normally do because there's so much Scripture. I'm not as fast as Jim uh, but I tend to speak fast, and my wife has often encouraged me to slow things down. So I'm going to try to do that this morning. Ooh, see, see how my metronome loses its way there? But we worship God both with our emotions and with our actions. We worship Him with both our emotions and our actions. Emotion often wins out and gets the short end, and action gets the short end of the stick. As God moves in our lives, to direct us into the path of good works that he has in eternity planned for us, for each of us. We act in biblical ways, such as kindness, help, encouragement, giving, etc. Indeed, in Romans chapter 12, giving itself is listed as a spiritual gift. Now, that's not an exclusive gift necessarily that only a few practice, but it's listed as a spiritual gift. Romans chapter 12, verse 3 through 8. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace of God, according to the grace given to us, each one of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith, if service, in his serving, or he who teaches, in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, or he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Romans 12, 1 and 2 is, the, of course, as most of the time, the numbers 1 and 2 precede 3 and 4. In this case, Romans reminds us that we are to, by the mercies of God, we are urged 
to present our bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is our spiritual act of worship. And following that, Paul lists the gifts. It is our worship to serve God with the gifts that he has given us. It is our worship to serve God in the way that he has made us. These very acts in Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8, are acts of, are part of our worship. He has commanded us to be giving people. That command springs from his heart of love and is how he works out his will every day in ours and in others' lives. For you see, worship starts, as it did with the Macedonians, it starts with us giving ourselves to God. That's what it starts with. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 5, and I'm going to be turning back to this front page of my notes because that's where it's at. And this, not as we expected, Paul said, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. The Macedonians begged Paul. They begged him to be able to give after they had first given themselves to the Lord. They wanted to give themselves, and in this case that giving was actually money, to the help of Paul and to others. True worship is a heart attitude, and it will involve sacrifice. It will involve a sacrifice of your time, your effort, your labors, your money, your emotions. It will involve sacrifice. When we give to others sacrificially the fruit of our labors as directed by God and His Word, we are indeed worshiping, just as surely as when we our heart soars with the, the lines of a song that, that elicit the emotion that we feel. We can praise Him with our lips, and as the writer of Hebrews suggests in the next breath, we can do good and share because these are the things God is pleased with. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 15 and 16. Through him then, through the Father, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. And do not neglect doing good and sharing. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. In order to understand properly the principles of giving, it might first be appropriate to look at some basic information about money. Now, I tend to teach didactically. And didactically is an old word from a compound word. The word die means to die. And dactylos means of boredom. You didn't know that, did you? Have you ever had didactic teaching that did that for you? I'm going to do my best not to do that this morning. It's line upon line. Step upon step is what didactic teaching is. So money has been at the root of both some of the greatest kindnesses and some of the greatest evils in the histories of man, in the history of man. And I often see a scripture misstated. Money is the root of all evil. No. No. Government is the root of all evil. No. <laughs> the love of money is the root of all evil. Some translations say the root of all kinds of evil. I have no problem with associating with the root of every kind of evil. Because it seems like power and money are the two things that drive men to commit some of the worst things that humans are capable of committing. As we all know, it's not the money itself, but rather one's attitude towards money that dictates how it will be used. But also why it will be used. And that goes to motive, which is the most important thing. God always wants to know, always wants us to know, what is our heart saying? There are five concepts, <laughs> and only five, sure. There are five concepts I would like to deal with regarding money. We'll start out with that, and then we'll look at giving. Number one, you must, and I never really got this one very well in my young Christian life. 
You must earn the right to give by taking care of those under your responsibility first. First Timothy 5.8 But if anyone does not provide for his own, especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Why worse? Because by implication, the gospel, as read by anyone, implies that believers will be compassionate, giving people, and that they will take care of those around them. I'm not talking about the social gospel. I'm just talking about the principles of God bringing His Son to this planet, giving Him to us for our salvation. The first order of business is to take care of your family. And if you do not do that, even the world will agree that this is the great evil. So principle number one, you must earn the right to take care of, you must earn the right to give by taking care of those under your responsibility first. The fact that you have earned this right implies several things. Number one, you've earned that right because you don't love money. And you know that loving it causes all kinds of harm and grief. We just talked about that. First uh, Timothy 6.10 For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. You have learned that money is a tool. You have learned as, that money is a tool. Just as surely as a wrench in the hand of a mechanic, when rightly used, it can be a great blessing. When dropped into the open top, of an engine with the head removed, however, Pat, that's a problem, isn't it? Yeah. So a rightly used tool is a blessing. A wrongly used tool can be can call all kinds of harm and grief. Number two, or, or the second understanding under the right to give money. You have earned that you have earned that right because you don't put your faith and trust in money, which is idolatry. If you put your faith and trust, it's that if money is your security, it's idolatry. Matthew Chapter 6, 24. No one can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. That is, your service is to God, and you simply use money as a way of doing that. It's part as part of your worship. Next. When you lose track of how many numbers you have, that's the word you use. Next. You have earned the right because you don't seek to be rich. You work hard and you do your very best and you leave the results to God. If he chooses to make you wealthy, so be it. You will use that wealth wisely to serve him, to worship him through that wealth. Four, number four, you have earned the right because you don't steal. You've earned your money. Proverbs thirteen eleven: wealth obtained by fraud dwindles, but the one who gathers by labor increases it. Number five, you have earned the right. Because you have proper spending habits. You take care of your family. First Timothy 5.8, we talked about that. But if anyone who does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. First John 3.17. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Secondly, under that, so sub-point, you pay your debts. Luke chapter 20, verse 25. You have earned the right because you pay your debts. He said to them, Then render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. And then Romans chapter 13, verse 7. Render to all what is due them, tax to whom taxes due. And oh, isn't that appropriate this time of the year? I just felt my wallet pull right out of the back of my pocket. Custom to whom custom. Fear to whom fear. Honor to whom honor. And you've earned that right because you save. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 25. The ants are not a strong people, but they prepare their food in the summer. And then Proverbs 6, 6 through 8. 
Go to the end. Again, I will. anybody who wants this, I will be glad to provide this, this sermon outline. It has all these scriptures. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Observe her ways and be wise, which, having no chief officer or ruler, prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provision in the harvest. So you save. And because you have been diligent in these things, because I see that here, in these things of the Lord, you have been given the privilege to give to his work in so many ways. The word tithe, interestingly enough, is not mentioned in the New Testament. Uh, in, the, in the epistles, excuse me, in the epistles. There are many reasons for this, but I want to suggest just a couple. One of the things that I've observed, though, is when so-called preachers try to burden people with the idea of a 10% tithe, they're often doing it because they're not careful in their own spending habits. What they're trying to establish is what government calls a significant and permanent revenue stream. And that is so that they can change the oil on their Gulf Stream as often as they want. Anybody know what, everyone know what a Gulf Stream is? A Learjet? Okay. Sometimes you make cultural jokes and it doesn't reach everyone. So they're trying to establish a permanent revenue stream. In fact, though, if one were to faithfully study the Old Testament, and, and as, I, as I got more and more into this, I began to realize that this was not really a one-message uh, concept. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking at, later on, if the other elders agree, uh, expositing on 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 24, but that will come later. That will come later. Anyway, if you study the Old Testament, you would probably find that the average Jew gave more like 23% of his income to support the work of God. Uh, there was a 10% given to the Levitical priesthood for the support of the temple uh, and the, the Hebrew government. There was 10% more given to fund the yearly holidays and festivals and celebrations. And then there was, and I couldn't come up with a good solid number because I don't know how, and I'll, I'll, I'll get to this. I'll, I'll just give you the number and then I'll explain to you why I couldn't come up with a solid number. Two to five percent more, depending on how you figure it, by every agricultural Jew, and in those days every Jew was probably agricultural, who would um, leave the corners of their fields for the, to be gleaned by the very poor. That was a, a giving. That was a giving. They could have actually earned money on that. Now, when I was, when I was a kid and I was baling and cutting and I was cutting and baling hay, we were told to go right to the corner. It's a good thing there were no gleaners, depending on being able to feed themselves off of the, what I left in our fields, because there was nothing there. It was right up to the barbed wire and right to the corners. But the agricultural Jews of this time would leave swaths of, of un, unharvested grain in the corners for the very poor to glean. And that would be somewhere between 2 and 5%. So that's where I came up with 23%. Um, the 3% was just a, a suggestion. Um, when we limit ourselves to a tithe, we are probably limiting God's in many ways because he may want us to give more. By the way, one of the books I studied as I, I prepared for this was a book written by Randy Alcorn. It's called The Treasure Principle. And it's, it's a delightful and convicting book. Uh, very encouraging and yet very convicting. And I, I commend it to your use. I think we were talking about maybe getting that. And we might do that if, if people want to read it. But you can get it online, of course. And it's probably available at the local library as well. Um, when we limit ourselves to a tithe, we are probably limiting God because he may want us to give more. The scripture always, however, puts a premium on a heart attitude and motive. And that is why God blesses and is encouraged by a cheerful giver. Now, the word cheerful is where we get our English word hilarious. 
It's the kind of delight that comes when you are just thrilled with something and you can't stop the upwelling bubbling of what I would call laughter. It's, it's a cheerfulness that is, is, is overwhelming, if you will. It's a, if his intention is to direct your heart to give as he would, it is his intention, let me put it this way, it is his intention, God's intention, to direct your heart to give as he wishes, to give as he wishes, not as I wish, not as uh, the budget committee wishes, not as any other person wishes, but as he wishes for you. Everything, everything about your relationship with the Father is an individual thing. Um, it's a burden when it's done to make your salvation sure. You can't make your salvation sure. The salvation of your soul has been made sure by the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a burden when you're doing it to impress your friends. It's a burden when you do it to impress God. It's a burden to do it when you will fill in the blank. When it's not motivated by the Father. A couple of things I want to suggest is, one, put the word tithe out of your mind as a limiter or as a base. Just put it out of your mind and ask God what he would have you do cheerfully. And so with that as an introduction and uh, a preparation, the idea behind the concepts of money, a little bit about money, I'm going to launch into how giving should be done. Um, I'm sure there are those of you in this audience who could teach me about this, and I'll be glad to learn from you. Number one, giving should be done systematically and thoughtfully. First Corinthians 16, 1 and 2. Now, concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so do you also, Paul says. On the first day of every week, each one of you, each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper so that no collections be made when I come. Second Corinthians 9, 17. Each one, and here's a critical key, each one must do as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a hilarious giver, a cheerful giver. There have been times in my life when I gave and I wasn't very hilarious about it. And there have been times that have been that I have been delighted most of the time by God's grace. And I'm going to tell you about one time that I wasn't and what God did to um to encourage me. Let me put it that way. There's nothing wrong, however. Now, I want to, after talking about doing systematically and thoughtful, and you do it, we'll talk about all the principles of giving, as many as I have come up with, and there may be more that you can, you can instruct me on. But there's nothing wrong with planning, and planning should be done together if you are married. Together if you are married. Blessing your heart with what you are giving, but burdening your wife's heart is not God's plan. Giving that is done together under the direction of the Holy Spirit will be a blessing to both the married couple and to those who are on the receiving end of your giving. Plan it together. Number one, giving should be done systematically and thoughtfully. Number two, giving should be first to the ministry of your local church. First Timothy 5, 17 and 18. The elders who rule well to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching, and I would say to you that our teaching elder works as hard as any teaching elder I've ever met. And I've been a Christian about as long as he's been alive. And I learn every week. I, I go away from here encouraged and blessed and convicted. Now, how do you get that on, this? on, on the heads on the coin is encouraged and the tails on the coin is convicted? <laughs> yeah, joy comes in the morning, it says, too. 
The elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, and I'm not, I mean no disrespect, Jim, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. And the labor is worthy of his wages. And then 3 John 1, 5 through 8. <laughs> 1, 3 John 1, yeah. Beloved, you are acting faithfully in whatever you accomplish for the brethren, and especially when they are strangers, and they have testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on our way in a manner worthy of God. So this is speaking to people who come in and who need help. For they went out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support such men that we may be fellow workers with the truth. Too many times, by the way, I see church organizations getting, in, getting the tithe, if you will, and the gifts before the local church. That is not the intention God had. Those people that, he just, that John just talked about that are being sent out, they would have been supported out of the excess of the giving that was given locally to support the local church. Support your, 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 your teaching elders, your local church first. So, we see that, because of that, giving should be secondarily. After you take care of your family, now you are, once you've taken care of your family, now you have earned the right to give. You give to your local church, and after that, secondarily to the needy in your family. Uh, actually, that would be first. I'm getting, I'm getting my timing mixed up. And then your church body, moving outside of the body when the needs of the body are met. So, you take care of your family. You give to your local church, you take care of the needy in your church, and then you take care of the needy outside of your church. And I want to say a thing about this, too. If we were not asked to pay into some fund for somebody else to take care of the needy. We were asked to take care of the needy. When the scripture admonishes me, when I read it and it says that I am, I am to help those who are in need. I am to clothe those. Doesn't mean I'm supposed to pay into some fund somewhere. And, and, and see them do it. A lot is lost when that happens. First of all, the, the, the benevolence that goes on between individual and individual, the relationship that goes on between individual and individual, and the praise that goes to God when people see that giving is actually coming out of a human heart and not out of some government fund somewhere. So, once, and the, the, the third thing would be for the needs of the body to be met. There's 94 verses in the Old Testament and 20 verses in the New Testament that I found that talk directly to this. Us taking care of one another and taking care of those who are in need outside of our body. Uh, we have a, a benevolence fund back there that the deacons use uh, for people in the community. When, when information comes to us that there are people in the community who are in great need um, and the deacons handle that, they take care of that, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's on the back table as well. So that's number two. Number three. Let me finish up with number two. Not everyone can do this. Again, it is the Lord moving your heart. If all you can do, if what you are in a position to do today is to take care of your family and some to the church, then that, do that with hilarity. Do that with hilarity. Ask the Holy Spirit to move you out from that when the time is right, when He deems the time is right. Um... Focus on your family and on your church. Remember, you must earn the right to give to others as your family is cared for. Once those needs are met, then you are free to do such things as giving to funds and other extensions of the local ministry. And God would have us be generous with this, especially in a, a body that I've discovered as I've been here for these years that is so dedicated to following God's plan in everything. 
Next, number three, giving should be in secret. Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be honored by them. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving will be in secret. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. We are so driven to be admired and liked. And our, so our giving should be in secret as much as possible. Now, sometimes you're going to be made aware of a need in the body. And it may be impossible to keep your giving secret. That's fine. The, the, the idea is your heart should be to give in secret. But if a, a need arises and that secrecy cannot be maintained, don't let them starve. Because you can't do it in secret. But the Father who sees knows the heart. It may be impossible to keep your giving a secret. In that case, it's fine. If God directed you to give to a need, then do it. With that said, there's nothing wrong if done in the proper attitude and motivated by prayer in the Holy Spirit to challenge one another. As I was reading different books preparing for this, um, I was challenged by people like R.G. Letourneau. How many have read about him? He gave 90% of his income. Now, well, sure, he was a millionaire. That'd be easy. I could live on 100000 a year, too. It's still the principle. His heart was to give 90% of what he earned when he was first starting out. And he wasn't the world's greatest earth mover. <laughs> and that principle carried through in his life. People like um, John Wesley who made sure that everything that came to him flowed right away from him and was given to others, lest he said, it find its way into my heart. As God directs, number four, as God directs, and in fact often giving should be, and by necessity will be, sacrificial. Second Corinthians 8, 2 and 3. That in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty he doesn't ignore the fact that they were, they were poor. Overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their, their ability, they gave of their own accord. Again, I'm not saying to neglect the needs of your family. What I'm saying is, is that may God may direct you as a family or as an individual or as a married couple to be careful with your funds so that there will be more to give to God's work and to God's people. And that's as I read these people, that's what... That's basically what would happen to most of them. They would be directed to be more economical, more careful with the funds they have had so they could give to people. A lot of this is in that book, The Treasure Principle. And so those are the principles of giving. And I want to I want to finish this up with um, a couple of things about what happens. What happens when I give cheerfully and sacrificially? God will bless you. And supply your needs. Now, I'm not saying that he will fill your checkbook up. He knows what your needs are. Your real needs. Our heart is desperately, desperately wicked and we can't know it. But the Lord knows it. He knows what your real needs are. And as you give, as you, fund, as you take care of others sacrificially and cheerfully, he knows what those needs are. They may be financial. It's none of my business. But the Holy Spirit, it is his business. And he knows. He makes it his business to know. He will take care of you. 
He will take care of you and you will see that he is more than capable of taking care of you despite your tax bracket. First, Second Corinthians 9.7 Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And then Philippians 4, verses 17 through 19. Listen to this. Not that I, Paul says to the Philippians, talking about the giving, not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit, which increases to your account, to the account of the giver. But I have received everything in full and I have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory. Do you need to panic? Do you need to worry? We do it anyway. But my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory. How rich is God? Is there a number big enough? The national debt drop in the bucket. Actually, he owns the bucket too. He owns the drop. He made the drop. God is so beyond able to take care of us that if we could actually get a glimpse of that, worry would disappear. Number two, God will credit your account in heaven. Matthew 6, 19 through 20. Do not store for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. And then Philippians 4 again. For even, verses 16 and 17. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift in itself, but I seek the profit which increases to your account. Paul knew that when people got it, when they got it, and their heart was moved to give hilariously, the profit would accrue to their account. So, God will credit your account. Now, but it sounds like I'm working for something. If God didn't think rewards were good, He wouldn't have offered them and told us about them in the Scriptures. There are five crowns that He has prepared for us. There are numerous rewards and gifts. He's building a house for you. Uh, so, the idea is, that he has prepared rewards. But what does your heart want to do with those rewards? That's the most important thing. And the heart of a, of a loving believer who trusts and adores his Savior, her Savior, will want to give it back. Will want to give the glory back to God. Will want to throw those at his feet. The needs of others will be met. So God will credit your account in heaven. And the next one is the needs of others will be met. Philippians 4, 16 and 18. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Paul said, I'm well taken care of. 2 Corinthians 8, 13 and 14. For this is not for the ease of others and for your affliction, but by way of equality. At this present time, your abundance is a supply for their need, so that their abundance may also become a supply for your need, that there may be equality. 2 Corinthians 9.12, for the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but it is overflowing, but is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. And lastly, God will be glorified, actually second to last, probably the most important, indeed the most important. God will be glorified and thanked and praised when your heart is moved by his spirit to give in a manner that meets the needs of others. 2 Corinthians 9, 11 through 13, and then 15. You will be enriched 
in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but also is overflowing through many thanksgivings to God because of the proof given by this ministry, because of the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberality of your contribution to them and to all. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Note here that the giving of the Corinthians was actually their worship. In other words, their confession of the gospel of Christ, their worship, their testimony is part and parcel with their giving. And then last, when giving is done under the administration of the Holy Spirit by people who have earned that right, the body of Christ will be united. 2 Corinthians 9.14 While they also by prayer in your half yearn for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. There's nothing quite like a, surpass, there's nothing quite like a, a sacrificial giving body. And so we saw in 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 24, a humbling example of a local body of Christ, indeed several bodies that were talked about when he was encouraging the Corinthians to do the same, who saw a great need. They first gave themselves to the Lord. Then in an act of worship, they begged the favor. They begged the favor to participate in the support of the saints. Can we give? Can we give? Can we give? Can we give? Can we? Can we? Can we? That's the uh, intent. That's the intention of those those verses. And in the same manner that the Lord Jesus left the riches of heaven to become poor for us, they impoverished themselves in some ways to help the ministry of the God of God in the early days of the founding of the churches. They trusted him who owns the cattle on a thousand hills to take care of their needs. And they let their abundance be a supply for the needs of others. Truly, as we think about these things, having just in these past few weeks celebrated the most important gift in the history of the universe. We are aware of that gift. We can understand the need for giving. And so I want to close with this. When I was, uh, well, I did have one anecdote about, uh, and, I'll, and I'll kind of throw this out. One time, Kim and I had committed to giving. We were saving for a car. God knew our needs. And uh, we were both convicted separately at a missionary conference, small missionary conference, to give to a missionary our savings for our car. That wasn't a lot. In the eyes of the, the rich people on this planet, they, would, they wouldn't notice this kind of number. But to us, it was, a, it, it was significant. And I thought, surely God isn't telling him the same thing. <laughs> he was. I wasn't hilarious at that time. But we gave that gift uh, by God's grace, by God's moving. And that afternoon, someone gave us a car. Now, again, my God is able to supply all your needs through his riches in Christ Jesus. He knew what we needed. If we didn't really need that car then that monetary gift would not have been replaced by a different monetary or a different physical thing. But God knew what we needed. He knows what your needs are every day, all day long. He's aware of them, and He is hilarious, hilariously giving to your needs. So, I want to close with this statement. When, and and it's, just, it's just the concept that God is good. God is good. He is always good. When I was in Central America building houses and stuff for the schools, and, and doing what we did for mission work down there. 
I, w- I learned so much from those people who had so much less than we have. They had <laughs> their, their homes often looked like what we would probably not put our chickens in. And they lived in those things and they were they were happy. They were delighted. And when two of them would meet on the street, living a life where God took care of their every need and they knew what their needs were, their needs were minor, minimal compared to ours. They would greet each other this way. One of them would say, God is good all the time. And the other one would say, all the time, God is good. He is. He always will be. He takes care of us. And I'm delighted to belong to a group that takes care of one another. Let's pray. Father, we just, there's no better way to end this than just being reminded of the fabulous gift of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, while we were yet sinners, turned his life, traded his life for ours, gave himself that we might prosper, that we might live. Lord, not the prosperity gospel that is so false, but the gospel of living for you, for being delighted and hilarious in giving for you, for wanting to turn everything we have over to you, and for taking care of one another as you direct. Might you continue that work in this body and help us to be grateful every day that you are good. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.